For those of us that have crossed over, what a crossing, hey? Man, they try to pull you back in December though, don't they? My goodness, everywhere you go, they're ringing bells. My, but I love the children. My, my, my son and I, we walked past this florist and they had this like bell thing playing some Christmas carol. And he's like, no idea. He's like, Papa, what? why do they have those bells playing? I'm like, you know, they, they don't know a lot of things, son, and I'm sure they don't even know. And we just kept on trekking, you know, because it's so wonderful to see this next generation that many of us have raised children up in the Torah from birth and they literally have no concept. And I'm quite happy, quite happy that they don't. They'll have plenty of time in later life to realize what a mess this world is in. So we just raise them up in the truth and then they'll see the counterfeits once they're older, but they don't need to see the counterfeits when they're younger, in my humble opinion. Let's turn to the book of Ivrim, Hebrews chapter 3. I'll get right into the text. Therefore, Kadosh Israelite brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the Sholiach, the apostle, and Kohen Hagadol, high priest of our confession, the Moshiach Yahusha who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moshe was faithful in all his Bait house. For this man was counted worthy of more Tifereth glory than Moshe, seeing that he who has built the Bait house has more honor than the Bait house. For every Bait is built by some man, but he that built all things is Elohim. Verse 5. And Moshe truly was faithful in all his bait house, whose bait we truly are. If we hold fast the confidence and the gilah of our tikvah firm to the very end. Therefore, as the Ruach HaKodesh says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your leaven oat, your heart, as in the rebellion, in the day of trials, in the midbar, the wilderness. When your avolt fathers tried me, they proved me, and they saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always go wayward in their leaven oat, their hearts, and they have not known my halachot, my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Listen, Israelite brothers, lest there be any of you an evil lev, heart of unbelief, in departing from the living Elohim. But exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Moshiach. If we hold on to the beginning of our confidence firm to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your levot as in the rebellion. For some, when they had heard, they did rebel. Was it not those that came out of Mitzrayim, Egypt, with Moshe? Although not all of them, but with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom did he swear that he should not enter his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. A lot right there in the body of the text. It begins in the first verse. Therefore, Kadosh, Israelite brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling. So it's clearly written to what? Devout believers. Our audience are devout believers. They're called holy brothers. They're partakers of the heavenly calling. Now this is the only place... In the, in the um, apostolic scriptures, where the term in the, in the Greek right here is eldelphoi hagoi, holy brothers. Holy brothers is used. And it says, consider the sholiach and Kohen Hagadal of our confession, the Mashiach Yahusha. The sholiach, the apostle and high priest. Again, this is the only time when you see that the Mashiach is referred to as the apostle. Now, this has become a highbrow term, a highbrow religious term in many denominations. But if we go to the law of first mention in the Torah, we'll find that apostle isn't some highbrow church term. Oh, you're the apostle. But it really means one who is sent out for a specific purpose. The first apostle in the scriptures was none other than the raven. The Noah sent out for a specific purpose. You see, it's not some highbrow term, but it means that somebody is sent out for a specific purpose and... We find that Moshiach was sent out for the specific purpose that he did in fact fulfill. The Shiliach and the Kohen Hagadol. He fulfilled the purpose of what? Being the high priest of the order of Malkitzedek. That is what he was sent out for. And the writer now talking to a body of believers, a holy brother's, says, now consider the Shiliach, the apostle, the high priest, Moshiach Yahusha. Because these are true believers. They're admonished. And we are too, as true believers, to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, the Malkitzedek. It's the true believer's charge. It is our charge in this generation to consider that. That's the thing. That's what makes us distinctly different in the priesthood. Is we do not count his blood a common thing, Hebrews 10.26, and trample it underfoot. We actually are going to spend the time to consider what does it mean that he is the Moshiach of our confession, the confession, the apostle and the high priest. He's not some Greco-Roman Christos, but he is what the scripture says, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And that's got huge ramifications for those that joined the priesthood. It's the true charge of our faith. 
and all true believers must consider it if they're interested in the priesthood to make a careful study and investigation of it. You don't brush it off. How many, I mean, how many Christians, and I'm not dogging on the Christians, but I'm serious, how many people in the the traditional Christian church, when I talk about, maybe it's just the way I pronounce it, Malkitzedek, maybe I should say Melchizedek. I might get more response. But you start talking about Melchizedek, Malkitzedek, and people look at you with their eyes just glassed over. They're not interested. You start talking about Jesus loves you in your heart, Christ, 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 happy Christmas, and people are engaged. You see? But we're not called to that. We are called to the study of his apostleship under the priesthood and order of Malkitzedek. What does that mean? I don't have all the answers, but together we glean and we go into the word and we seek these things out. Together we have a desire. You can't fault me for my desire to want to know the high priest and want to know the calling of the priesthood. Now, you can fault me because maybe I misunderstand things, but guess what? I'm human just like you, each and every one of us. We do make mistakes. When we admit we make those mistakes, we admit it, and we work together in the word of Yahweh to admonish one another as what? Holy brothers. Because that's what we are. We are holy brothers and sisters together. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, it is written, Come to me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest and help you to bear your yoke. Take my yoke upon you, and then if you take his yoke upon you, and it is a yoke, so you should feel the yoke of the Kohen Haggadah. It's not some free skate, greasy grace. You should feel a yoke. How many people feel a yoke out there? We have to feel the yoke. And sometimes it is heavy. Sometimes it is heavy. Remember those old, I mean, you literally would have a yoke. And then on each end, that's how they would bring the water into the camp. And is that not what we're supposed to be doing? And some of our jobs is to be the lowly people, the woodcutters and the water carriers, where you're going to feel that yoke and that pressing burden. Sometimes I get so, I truly do, and my wife will test it, so heavy just being in the Word, the amount of time I'm in the Word to prepare for the message each and every week. I'm in the Word every single day, and it gets so heavy because I have to plow through so much other stuff and and history and whatnot, that sometimes, you know, with what's going on in the world, of course it would be such an easier, simpler life to not pay attention and not to have the call of the holy brethren. But we have that heavy yoke. But if we do take that yoke upon, look what Mashiach says, then you're going to spend time learning about him. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in love, heart, and you shall find rest for your beings. For my yoke is gentle, and my burden is light. So thank goodness he's gentle where sometimes I'm not. 
Did I get an amen from my wife? I got, did you hear that? (laughs) Come on now. We've got to learn of Mashiach. We've got to gaze upon him. You see, what the author of our book is he's saying to the audience, gaze upon Mashiach, the Kohen Haggadol, the Shaliach of your confession. Lean on him. Don't be inclined to lean back on the Levitical hierarchy, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and everything that's going on in the temple, because that is soon going to be passing away. But they had this tendency to go, well, you know what? If I go back to the Levitical system, I can hide within it, and I will not face the persecution. And I've got to tell you, there's been people that have moved out here from other states, but they have gone back to the church system because you do not get the kind of persecution that you do when you're in the calling to the priesthood. It's a lot easier. And our author is admonishing his audience the same. Don't draw back. Don't draw back to the Levitical temple. Don't draw back to the traditional religious system of the day and think that you can hide in it. Think that you can hide in it. But gaze in awe on the Mashiach. Don't gaze in awe on the religious system of the culture because it's going to pass away. It's going to pass away. Consider the Shaliach and Kohen Haggadal of our confession. And that's it. That's a question that we have to ask one another, and I'll ask you. Have you confessed Yahusha as your high priest publicly? And if you haven't, you might want to consider doing that. And now at every Sukkot festival and during the summer, we I'd say summertime, if you're really gung-ho and zealous, I'll do it now with you. But we go down to Mayim Hayim. We do not go to a chlorinated pool We go to living water and we will do a public mikvah and confession of Mashiach as our Kohen Haggadal, high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This couple right in the back, stick your hands up, guys, I'll pick on you. Yes, I'm looking at you. There's no one behind you, brother. Yes, these two, they're here today. They're here today because at Sukkot, they just happened to be, just happened we don't believe in coincidence. They happened to be at our Sukkot campsite and they walked down to the public mikvah, ritual immersion of believers, and they were like, what's going on here? And Yahweh called them through that very act of other people's public confession. And that's what it's supposed to be. We are supposed to make a public confession of him as our apostle and high priest. And that's an amazing testimony. What a, right here in our very midst. So praise, praise Yahweh for that. Amen. Amen. Verse 2. He who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moshe was faithful in all of his bait, his house. Now our author is going to start examining the second pillar of Judaism. Remember in previous studies, in the previous chapters over the past couple of weeks, I told you how our author is going to start dismantling the three pillars of Judaism. 
And he's going to show you that the Shaliach and Kohen Haggadol of our confession is higher, greater than the three pillars of Judaism. First of all, he's going to dismantle angels. Now he's going to dismantle Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, do not get me wrong. He's not kicking out the Torah as the traditional Christian church. He's just going to dismantle the cultural application of how some in the context highly esteemed angels, others didn't believe. But then some actually esteemed Moshe almost like godlike in the first century. And then he's going to lastly dismantle how they held in such high esteem the corrupt temple priesthood, which had been sold, the high priest position had been sold for 240 years and traded. So he's going to dismantle the three pillars of Judaism, angels, Moshe Rabbeinu, and the Levitical priesthood. Right now he's going to address Moshe Rabbeinu. And he's going to use the text of Numbers chapter 12 to do it. Now, We have to understand that this is going to be a huge undertaking for a first century Jewish audience for our author to be able to address this in front of a first century Jewish audience because Moshe was held up in godlike esteem with many, many of the traditions and the sects. Even higher, he was held even higher than the angels. For this man was counted worthy the more Tifereth, more glory than Moshe, seeing that he who built the Bait, the house, has more honor than the Bait, the house. For every Bait is built by some man, but he that built all things is Elohim. And Moshe truly was faithful in all of his bait, his house, as an Eved. He was a servant within the house for a testimony of those things that were to be spoken later. But the Moshiach, as son over his own bait house, whose bait you and I are, if we hold fast the confidence and the gilah of our tikva firm to the very end. You see, the household compromises of what? All believers. It's written in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. I love this. That at that time you were without Mashiach. You were being excluded You were actually aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and you were gerim. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. But everything about the high priesthood that is offered to the priests is what? About bringing you back into the covenants of promise. Those Malkitzedic covenants of promise that began with Abraham. You see, we were strangers. We were afar off. Many people don't realize that the blood of Yahusha cut a covenant. They have no concept of that. The blood established a covenant. And if it established a covenant, then the covenant has covenant boundaries, which we're supposed to stay in. Because if we transgress the covenant boundaries, then we're trampling his blood underfoot and counting it a common thing. You see, we don't even understand that in the West. We don't understand that. So many believers, you'd ask them, say, oh, you believe in, in, in," would use their terms, you believe in Jesus? Oh, for sure. 
And do you, do you believe in the, the New Testament? Oh, for sure. Well, what is that? Well, what do you mean? Well, it's a new covenant, right? Oh, yeah, right. Well, where do you find that? Jeremiah 31, 31. And who's it to? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. And what is it? It's the Torah. And where is it written? On tablets of stone? No, on the tablets of your heart. It was written on tablets of stone because you broke the covenant because your heart was so hard that he wrote it on stone. But really, he wanted to write it on your heart in the first place. Let me continue on. I get zealous about this stuff. Because as strangers, we were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no tikvah, no hope, without Elohim in the Olam Hazer, this world. But now in Mashiach Yeshua, who you sometimes were afar off, are made near by the dam, the blood of Mashiach. For he is our shalom, and he has made both echad. He makes the two one. He brings you into one. And he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Here's the key. Even the law of commandments contained in human dogma. That's what he abolished. For to make in himself from the two one new man. We're supposed to be one new man in the priesthood. So making shalom, bringing shalom, and that he might reconcile both to Yahuwah in one body by the tree, having slain the enmity through it, and came and proclaimed shalom to you who were far off and to them that were near. For through him we both have access by one ruach to Abba. Now therefore you are no more gerim, no more strangers, you're no more foreigners, but fellow citizens with the Israelite Kedoshim, the saints, forming the household of Yahweh, Bet Israel. So because you were strangers, and now you've been brought into the commonwealth of faith, and you're a part of the priesthood, and under his high priestly order, you're no longer strangers because you're in the household of faith, but you actually feel stranger than you ever did before, right? Because you're living in a strange foreign land. But you feel more peace and more discipleship, and you feel that you are the holy brethren. More than ever, but you feel stranger than you ever did, right? Because those people doing all that crazy stuff out there, they just feel just like normal because the culture accepts it. (coughs) But the more you press into Yahuwah, the more strange and isolated you will feel from the culture. You are, we're like salmon. We are swimming against the current. We are going upstream, aren't we? Everything that we do, when we go to the grocery store, You put something off of the shelf and you're like, oh my goodness. And then, then, you know, I don't even trust myself. I'm like, I I pass it to my wife. Or if my son's around, oh my goodness, he's like kosher police. He is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I feel for my wife. Sometimes in the summertime, she goes to these Christian um, um, play groups Oh, you know, these kids have got candies, and my son's like, is it kosher? 
and they'll look at him. And the next thing he's got like five kids around, he's telling them all about Yahweh. You know, I, we just got invited to go see some friends up the road and they've got five pigs in their garden. I'm like, are we really going to go visit them? Because it's going to be throwdown when Moshe starts talking to them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> My goodness. I mean, we are swimming uphill, even in the neighborhood. Moshe was a servant in the house. But Messiah built the house. But Messiah built the house. And he is owner of the house. He's the son and he's the heir. He's the son and he's the heir. So Yahushua was over the house whose house we believers are now. And who are we? We are the Israel of Elohim, Galatians 6.16. Ultimately, what is this about? It's all about access, is it not? That's what it's about. It's all about access. Israel had limited access through a servant in the house. Now think about it when you were kids and you'd go around to somebody's house. Think about that. It's all about access because Israel had limited access through a servant in the house, and we have greater access and special privilege. We have special privilege through the owner, the son, and the heir of the house. If you go visiting and you know the owner of the house, who's also the son of the house and the heir of the house, what are your privileges going to be like? Or if you go to the house where your friend is just a servant of the house. You're not going to have the same privileges. You won't be greeted when you come to the door in the same manner. That's what it's about. It's about access to the master craftsman, the builder of the house. It's all about access. Do you want to pay a yearly fee today? Seriously. I always get in trouble for this kind of talk, but I can't help it. Do you want to pay a yearly fee today so you can have limited access to a ministry's teachings on the scriptures? Do you want to pay a fee for DVDs and this, that, and t'other so you can have limited access? Or do you realize that we're all in this together, that we are the holy brethren, the holy priesthood, and it's free access, unlimited access, because it's all his? That's it. And we're dependent upon him for our sustenance and we just let it be what it will be. Because if we're all doing what we should be doing, then everything will grow because of the conviction in believers' hearts to be good stewards with what they've been gifted. But we as a ministry aren't going to give you limited access because that's not right. That's not right. You see, so that's a big change. That's a big paradigm shift when you're now approaching, excuse me, the priesthood. But I do want to talk about while we're in the house and we're juxtaposing the difference between the servant of the house and the owner, heir and son of the house. I want to address in the first century the Jewish Messiah myth 
in the life of Moses. Because this is fascinating and it was very, very prevalent in the first century. There was a Jewish expectation of a cosmic relationship of divine equivalency of divine equivalency between Moses and Messiah. That was the expectation in the first century of this cosmic divine equivalency between Moses and the coming Moshiach. To the first century Jew, Moshe is the prefiguration of Moshiach. And Moshiach will be a Moshe-Moses figure. Now, as I go through this, you'll start to see it more and more. This was their very expectation. Moshe, he was a, of royal noble blood. Moshiach, he was of royal noble blood of the house of David. Moshe fulfilled his destiny with the redemption of the people from bondage to slavery. Messiah, he fulfills his destiny by delivering mankind from bondage of sin and the exile. At the advent of both, the people were suffering long for many generations. But they had no assistance from Yahweh. They hadn't been able to find any help, had they, in both generations. Moses and Messiah both wait patiently for their divine missions whilst dwelling in the midst of their people. They both spent their childhood and the first part of their life in the very place, in the very place upon which they would bring divine deliverance. Moshe spent his childhood in Egypt and Moshiach Yehusha spent his time around Judea. The very place where they would, in fact, bring deliverance, they spent their childhood. Moshe had to wait until he was 80 years old. But with Moshiach, he has to wait much longer, does he not? In fact, many centuries to bring that ultimate deliverance and reconciliation. Now, the redemption doesn't happen on the heels of the appearance of the Redeemer, does it? Think about that. The redemption doesn't happen on the heels of the appearance of the Redeemer, but after a long period of trials and testing. Just as Moshe was revealed to Israel, and then Moshe was hidden for how many days? Months, I mean, sorry, three months. Yet we find that Mashiach himself, he was what? He was revealed to Israel, and then he was hidden for three days. But we also know that a day is as a thousand years. So we have this appearance being communicated, shown to Israel, and then a time of being hidden. Moshe had to face a mighty opponent to which his strength would be nil, as will Messiah have to face a mighty opponent and his strength would be nil. Moshe didn't escape tragedy after leading, teaching, and coaxing Israel. Even though he pleaded with Elohim, Messiah will likewise not escape tragedy after leading, 
teaching and coaxing Israel. And he even pled with Elohim in the garden, did he not? You see the parallels right now? And this was the very expectation of the Jewish audience. Now, at the completion of his mission, Moshe had to die, did he not? Messiah, upon completion of his mission, has to die, but he will return to live in victory. The request that was denied Moses was given to Messiah to live again. And this is fascinating because the Jewish thought couldn't quite figure this one out. Well, well, there has to be two Messiahs then. There has to be a suffering Messiah and then a conquering Messiah because they couldn't reconcile this in the Scripture because they saw the death of Messiah, but then they saw their reign of Messiah. So they said, oh, there must be Moshiach ben Yosef, and then there's Moshiach ben David. So they couldn't reconcile, in fact, that these two roles would be taken care of with one Messiah. Look at verse 7 of our text. Therefore, as the Ruach HaKodesh says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your levot, your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the days of the trials in the wilderness. Now, of course, this is quoting Psalm 95. And this is a Sabbath psalm. It was sung at the inauguration of the Sabbath in the temple. Now, there's a great tradition And I only use the rabbinic traditions when they work for me. So I'll use this one today about this today, if you hear his voice. And this comes from the Midrash. Rabbi Joshua ben Levi met Elijah and he asked him this. When will Messiah come? Well, go and ask him. Well, where is he? He's at the entrance sitting among the lepers. So he went, he greeted him, and he asked, Master, when will you come? Today, he answered. Upon returning to Elijah, Rabbi Joshua said, He lied to me. He told me he would come today, but he hasn't come. Elijah replied, What he said to you was, in fact, today, if you will hear his voice. And isn't that, isn't that the absolute cornerstone of our faith? Well, Messiah hasn't come for 2,000 years. You didn't understand. Because when I was 24 years old was the day that I heard his voice. And he came to me. And he hasn't left me since. Today, if you hear, oh, the earthquake, oh, the the thunder, oh, the lightning and the fire. No, the still, small voice. That's the day of redemption. Today is the day if you hear his voice. And that gives us hope for each and every person out there. We must go and do the work. 
Because, oh yeah, they're listening to the earthquakes. There'll be rumors of wars. There'll be, uh, they're listening to all the MSNBC Illuminati media spin to distract them from the still small voice. Oh, there's, there's all of the, the, Brother Dane, what are they called again? All the chemtrails, there's all of that to distract you, to mess up the frequencies so that you can't hear the still small voice. But you can, but you have to quieten down. And it starts by keeping Shabbat. Just so that you can be quiet long enough to hear. Because we are such a busy society That's why Sabbath is the cornerstone to beginning to slow it back down again and spend time with Yahuwah, with your family, your loved ones, in the Word, praying, and so that you can start to hear the Ruach HaKodesh drawing you. Because that's that's a real, real need for people to slow down and hear. Verse 9, when your avot, when your fathers tried me, they tested me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always go wayward in their levot. And they have not known my halachot. They have not walked in my ways. Now, in verse 8, we see that there's a couple of texts that are employed here. Exodus chapter 17, verse 7. Shemot 17, 7 is a text that's employed. That's the text about Masah and Meribah. We see Numbers chapter 20, verse 2. Remember there was no water and they complained against Moshe? That text is employed. Then we go to Bamidbar, Numbers 14, verse 20. This text is employed where we find the ten tests. And Psalm 95, verse 7, today hear his voice and don't harden your hearts like at Meribah and Massah. And I think I want to spend a little bit of time because Rav Sholiak Shaul, Rabbi Apostle Paul, when he's addressing the Corinthians in the 10th chapter, he addresses them. Remember, they're in Corinth. They were, they, they were hedonists. They were carnal. But he addressed them and he says, remember, and he includes them in this, all of our avo, our fathers, passed through the Red Sea. Meaning that if you're in the commonwealth of Israel and you're even a foreigner and you've been grafted in, you are partakers of those covenants of promise. But he uses that as a teaching example to them to admonish them. He uses the wilderness generation and he says, Don't let what happened to them happen to your generation because there's a spirit in each and every successive generation, a spirit of contention, a spirit of whoredom, a spirit of Jezebel, if you will, that will come in in each and every generation and try and rob you from the true walk of the holy brothers. And remember, there is no... Male or female, slave and free, but you are all one in Mashiach. So when I say holy brothers, I'm not, I'm not excluding women because we are all one as holy brethren together. I want us to visit these 10 tests because as we are coming out of the nations and we are called to come together in community, it begins at Sukkot, but we are called to start to 
unpack from the world and come together. We have to be familiar with the strifes and the contentions that plague a people that are coming out of the new world order. Because if it happened to them, it's going to happen to you, but you and I can learn from their past mistakes. So I want to quickly visit the 10 reasons that they tested Yahuwah so that we can learn so we don't fall into that same pattern, especially in this generation. Because what we have to understand today, and again, this upsets many people, the most probably the safest place to live on the planet would be Russia. Okay? It's all upside down. Because our government has been hijacked by a global elite that are using ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and all of those terrorist organizations as an arm to bring other nations under their dominion. The only country that is free from that right now is Russia, who is trying to have influence over Syria and Iran. But we have to understand that we're not getting out of Afghanistan anytime soon. Why? Because we have got air bases over there that are strategic to being able to handle and put the Chinese under the oppression of our government. You see, we have a global elite. This country has fallen, and we are actually in a very precarious situation. You'd be a lot safer in Russia because their government has not been taken over. Our government has. So we need to be prepared for being a wilderness generation. And if we're going to be a wilderness generation... We do need to start to plan for provision for our families and extricate ourselves from the cities or at least make preparation for a place for our families to go if you do live in the cities. You need to start thinking about those things very seriously because you do not want to get locked down in the FEMA system of the cities. That's where they're going to start to close everything down first. But we've got to learn from the previous wilderness generation. Turn with me to Bar Midbar, Numbers chapter 14, verse 20. And Yahweh said, I have pardoned according to your word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the tifereth, the glory, the beauty of Yahweh. Because all those men who have seen my Tifereth, my beauty, and my Nisim signs and miracles, which I did in Mitzrayim and in the wilderness, they have tested me these ten times, and they have not listened to my voice. You can see how this ties in with listening today to his voice. Now, we're going to come across ten tests. Now, the first five tests have to do with the sin of unbelief. And that's the first stumbling block. People simply don't believe. They simply do not believe. They have a lack of faith. They have a lack of faith. The first five tests have to do with unbelief. But the last five tests, they have to do with the sin of not 
trusting Yahweh, which reveals their absolute rejection of Yahweh. So the first five tests, unbelief. The second five tests, you rejected the living, living creator, the king of the universe. Let's look at these tests. Exodus chapter 14, Shemot 14 verse 11. The first test, a test of unbelief. It comes to us from Exodus chapter 14 verse 11 through verse 14. Go into the house of an Israelite and what? You'll be saved. Go into the house of an Israelite and you'll be saved. Leave the world. Go to the mountain and receive the commandments of Yahuwah. The Israelites said, well, this is a mistake. Let's go back to Egypt. How many people, when it gets hard, are going to go, well, you know what? Those FEMA camps, they've got vaccinations, they've got food, they've got medicine, they've got blankets. You see, we're living on a reservation. And what did they do to the Native Americans, the First Nations people? Put diseases in the blankets, poison the food, and kill them off. Georgia Guidestones. You see, it's a big prison system. It's a big prison system. In fact, we just heard of somebody who's in prison, and uh, another fellow inmate in prison was working in the kitchens. And he said, brother, all of the hamburger came in and it was packaged. And I'm unpacking it. And it says, not for human consumption. You see, whatever they did to the First Nations people, that's what they're doing to the prisoners in this country because that's where the model comes from. And what did they do? They would have the spoiled rations Sometimes from the Civil War, left over from the Civil War, the spoiled food rations that wasn't even fit for the soldiers, the blue coats, and they would feed them to the First Nations people who they got to covenant and give up land, give up rights so they could put them in the prison system. Now that reservation system has been expanded and we're in fact all living under it. And that's what we don't realize. Because we were supposed to come over here. When I say we, I say Europeans. were supposed to come over here and give the greatest gift to the First Nations people. And in return, we were supposed to receive a great gift from the First Nations people. That was the Creator's divine plan, His perfect will. But now we're in His permissive will. His perfect will was you go over and you give the greatest gift of my son, and in return, you will receive the gift of land stewardship, animal husbandry, and how to truly love your neighbor. But we saw the mountains of gold, and we saw the land, and we coveted, we became greedy, and we enslaved the people, and now we are all living on the reservation. We're all living on the reservation. We're all in prison. And you don't think that those blankets are going to get infected that FEMA are pulling out and providing? You don't think everything that happened to the Cherokee, 
to the Sioux, to the Lakota. That is what will happen if you and I don't leave the wilderness and get this right. So the first test is one of unbelief. Don't go back to Egypt. When we leave the New World Order system, there will be people in our camp that will say, we should go back. We should go back. Because your belief will be tested. Their unbelief was that they didn't believe Yahuwah would save them from the anti-Messiah or Pharaoh in their day. Yahuwah will defeat Pharaoh's end-time anti-Messiah army. We have to trust in the provision of Yahuwah. That's the first test. The second test comes to us from Shemot, Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 through 26. And it's the second test is unbelief again. The Israelites, they didn't believe Yahuwah would provide the key essentials of life. After going three days without food and water, they found what? That the water was bitter. The water was bitter. And we're going to be faced with what? The same thing. Within three days, the, the shipping trucks will be stopped. Your grocery stores will be emptied. And you don't want to go there. Because you will get caught up in a riot, in a mob. And the Torah says, I believe it's Exodus 21, it could be Exodus 23, that we have no part in mob riots. We can't be a part of that. That's not biblical. You don't get caught up in that tea party stuff because you will get rounded up. You're supposed to be the gray man. You're supposed to be invisible. You don't get caught up in mob rule and mob judgment because then you get caught, you've, you'll get caught up with that. You'll be all rounded up. You see, you need to understand now, you need to start getting your body temple clean and pure because if you're all jacked up on pharmacia, when that stops... You'll be crippled on the floor crying like a baby. I like coffee. I must tell you. I do. I like espresso. I try to get three or four shots a day. I truly do. But I have to go decaf some days. And sometimes I have to not do it for a while. Because have you ever tried fasting? Like abstaining from any fluids and any food when you've had coffee the day before? It will send you to your knees. You'll be crying like a baby. But if you've got all the caffeine out of your system, you can go into a fast for days. You're fine. So think about the pharmacia. Think about all the stuff they've got us all hopped up on and addicted to. The moment that food stops, your body needs to be able to continue on. Otherwise, you'll be crying that you'll go, want to go back to Egypt. So now is the time to start testing yourself and preparing yourself so that you can. Now, I'm not recommending that you go against your physician's orders. Of course, I have to put that clause in there. Otherwise, people will be emailing, my wife died when you done your teaching. It's your fault. We're going to be faced with food and water shortages in some. Physical healing is needed for us to receive Yahuwah's true, true teachings. And we, we have to believe in Yahuwah for the essentials of life, not the new world order. 
We have to believe in him, truly, for the essentials of life. That was the second test. The third test, again, unbelief, comes to us from Exodus chapter 16, verse 1 through 8. Your murmurings are not against us, but they are, in fact, against Yahweh. In this test, we see the complaints were against leadership by the children of Israel. The Israelites, they were hungry. They didn't believe Yahweh would provide food for them in the wilderness. One month, they were only one month out of Egypt and they were complaining. And there will be those among us in the last days who will complain, oh, well, the light yoke of Torah, it's just too hard. We never had to put up with this kind of leadership in in the church. We could do what we wanted as long as we paid our tithe and sung the right songs and stood when they said stand and sit when they said sit. This Torah yoke is way too hard. That was the third test. They'll lust after the flesh of Egypt. There'll be Israelites in the camp that'll want to return to their jobs. They'll want to return to the subdivisions. And ultimately, they'll only find FEMA camps or storage lockers. How many of you have driven past storage lockers? This is something that I always do whenever I see fencing and barbed wire. You'll be amazed when you see these big, um, they can often be state or um, federal compounds for, for, for cars, for vehicles. And the, the barbed wire is facing, which way is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's facing in. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. If it was trying to keep the people out, it's actually designed because they're going to use them to keep the people in. I've had people actually come and speak to me and personally about storage locker units and there's plumbing. What's, why, why is there plumbing? You're storing your trash. And then why is the fencing pointed in? You look at these places. It's amazing. Especially some of the places where they store the um, state vehicles. Huge big lots. And it's to keep people in. Very quickly, they can turn these places into house people. And you see, this is what people will find. Take a close look at the test in verse 4 or 5 of Exodus chapter 16. Yahweh set up a way of gathering that I may test them whether they will walk in my Torah or not. And that's it. We are tested to see if we'll walk in his Torah or not. The fourth test comes to us from Shemot, Exodus chapter 16, verse 20 through 28. And Exodus 17, verse 17. They didn't believe Moshe. That is the Torah that he had taught them. They gathered more than instructed during the week. It bred worms and it stank. The people would not heed Moses. They didn't believe in the Shabbat. They didn't believe on taking that time. And in verse 24, it says, Neither was there any worm inside. You see, there's no worm inside when you guard the commandments of Yahweh. It's true purity at its very, very core. Because the Catholic Church, you see, the Catholic Church, we we can understand this from history. Counts of Nicaea. They moved the Sabbath to another day. And by doing it, 
what does it do? It breeds worms and stinks. It breeds worms and stinks to Yahuwah. Shabbat is the definition of your love to Yahuwah and the sign to you that he's actually with you. It's an oat. It's a sign. They had to decide whether to gather or to stay in their tents, congregate together and obey. Some Israelites didn't believe Yahuwah and they gathered on the seventh day. It wasn't because they needed to. It wasn't because they had a need, but because of unbelief in Yahuwah, unbelief in his provision. Shabbat is the first test of obedience for many of us, and it sets us apart from the world to trust Yahuwah in his provision. Many of you know that since I was 17 years old, I've been a hairdresser and a barber. When I came into the Sabbath, I'm self-employed. I'm going to have to close my business down the, the day that I make triple the income on the Sabbath? Well, do you believe or not? So I shut my business down. Do you know what other... You're insane. Well, the funny thing is, you, you, have to, you have to take the step. Come and you will see. Don't think, because you'll think yourself into a corner. Come and then you will see. There's this funny thing in the world of hairdressing and barbering, and that's that hair designers, take, they close their salons on Mondays. On Saturdays, I always had short timers anyway. I only ever wanted to work to four o'clock because, you know, I had short timers anyway. So I open up my shop, 8.30 Monday morning. I close my shop, 8.30 Monday night. I made more money on Mondays than I ever, ever did on the Sabbath. But I had to come and see before I knew. And I have other brethren that are also in the same business of I, and they have the same testimony. Mario, if you're watching, Tamara, if you're watching. Because what a blessing. What a blessing. But we have to come and see. You see? Isn't that fabulous? It's truly, you, you have to walk it out. You have to walk it out. And you, once you do, you'll never go back. You'll never go back. I've now got like four, 40, 40 people and a bunch of staff. And do you know how many times they come to me? Oh, we really should open on, on Saturday. I say, look, if you want to open on Sunday, we can do that. Well, no, we don't want to do it. Why not? <laughs> well, we really should decorate. I say, well, if you want to decorate, we can decorate. We'll put a whopping big golden menorah that's how we'll decorate. Otherwise, no decorations <laughs> for you today. <laughs> but I have to have these fights all the time with these Hallmark holidays that come up. It's crazy. But Shabbat truly is the definition of us walking with Yahweh. 
Some Israelites, they didn't believe Yahweh and they gathered on the seventh day. And again, it wasn't because of need. It was because of a lack of faith in Yahweh to provide. Shabbat is the very first test for many of us of obedience to Yahweh. And it sets us apart from the world. We look strange and people wonder, well, why aren't you doing that? And you have a testimony. They were told to gather manna early in the morning. And I admonish you all. Get in the word and get in prayer first thing in the morning before the sun hits you and you start to stink. Seriously, because when you go to work, when you're out in the world, stuff happens and it hits you. But if you've had time in the word in the morning and in prayer, then you go out and it hits you. You've got the word in you to respond. But the days that you're late, like I was the other day, and I forgot to set my alarm, or I think I set it to p.m. instead of a.m., and I ran out of the house without being in the Word, and then you get slammed. So get in the Word before it breeds. The day breeds worms and stinks on you. That's your defense. Get the Word and get prayer in you each and every day, first thing in the morning. They're told to gather early in the morning before the cares of the world take us away. Let's look at the fifth test of unbelief. It comes to us from Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 through 8. They didn't believe in the fifth test of unbelief. They did not believe in the one true Elohim. The Israelites wanted an Elohim that they could command at the golden calf, did they not? They wanted an Elohim that they could command, not one according to the teachings and instructions of Moshe. No counterfeit will do in our walk. Believing in the one true Elohim, don't create other ways to worship him. Worship the way he wants to be worshipped. That's truly what he wants. Doesn't matter, well, in my heart I'm doing it. I'm not worshipping your heart. I'm worshipping the one true Elohim, and I don't care what's going on in your heart because your heart, like mine, is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Repent and serve the one true living Elohim. Worship him the way he has laid out that he wants to be worshipped. Otherwise, Amos 5, your prayers and your festivities will be what? They will not be pleasing before the Creator. Now we've looked at the first five tests We cannot fall prey to these tests of unbelief because the next thing it leads you to is rejecting the one true living Elohim. Now we're going to look at the last five tests which deal with rejection. The sixth test comes to us from Numbers chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. They reject Yahuwah. This is called the graves of the lust. It's known as the graves of the lust. If you look at verse 34, the Israelites rejected the manna. There is nothing at all beside this manna. What? 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 What do you mean there is nothing at all beside this man? He just parted the Red Sea. There is nothing at all beside this manna. They rejected the presence of Yahuwah in their very midst. In their very midst. Don't sit on the outside of the edges. There are always those that sit on the outside looking in. Get inside, get involved, get in the community of faith. It was always those that were trying to entrap Moshiach that sat on the outside edges. 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and whatnot. And the same with the camp of Israel. They rejected his presence. They rejected, what? There's nothing but this manna? Oh, well, except, you know, last night there was this pillar of fire, and this morning there was a pillar of cloud. I mean, really? But they, they don't even see that. Because all they see is what is right in front of them. And that is what we are like today, isn't it? As we people, And they walk through traffic. How many times do you see that? I see it every day downtown. There goes another one. Boom. I mean, how many times? Walking around. Yeah, hey, hey yeah, good to see you. Yeah, good, all right. It's crazy. If aliens could see us, which they can. I think that's in Torah Parsha Noah, if you want to know about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good one for late at night if you can't sleep. Seventh edition Noah. <laughs> but seriously, they did not see the very presence of Yahweh in their midst. They rejected his provision. The people rejected the manna, and in so doing, they rejected Yahweh. The seventh test comes from Numbers 11, verse 16 through 20, a test of rejection. The Israelites rejected Yahuwah because you have despised Yahuwah who is among you. Crying, they said, why did we leave Egypt in verse 22? They remembered the meat. They remembered the meat of Egypt. They desired to return to the world for it. They wanted meat. And Yahweh gave them meat, did he not? Oh yeah, you want it? You want that? He'll put so much in it that it'll choke you until it comes out of your nostrils. Oh, you want carnality? Oh, you want debauchery? You, you want that? He'll give you right over to it. He'll give you right over to it. You'll end up overdosed and dead. You can't say that. Yes, I can. I have seen it. Do you know how many people? I have had friends who have blown their brains out. I have had people that have hung themselves and strung themselves up. I have seen a lot in my life. And I saw one friend of mine before he blew his brains out. He had pictures that he drew because he was seeing all of these demons, now I know, that were coming for him. Because he was so into the debauchery. And another friend of mine drew what he saw. And then the next day, he spread eagled on the bed with a blood angel. So he didn't even have the sense to shoot himself with the right caliber. Shot himself in the head with a twenty-two. That's a painful way to go. Bit too much information. But, you know... What a crazy world. I've seen people being given over to it. And there's a serious, serious warning, stern warning. That's why we have got to flee. We have got to flee from iniquity. Because if you, if you don't, if you keep messing around with it, he will literally give, it, give you over. And we know that sin leads to death. Leads to death. So now we find the ninth the night, well, that seventh, that seventh test, I said, was um, 
Numbers chapter 11, verse 16 through 20. And again, they rejected his presence among them for the things of the world. That was really what it was. They didn't believe in his word. And we can't reject the presence of Yahweh among us. We can't. The eighth test, rejection, Numbers 11, verse 20 through verse 22. The Israelites rejected his salvation, verse 20. They asked, why did we come out of Egypt? Be warned, truly, be warned. Don't get caught up in all of this DNA testing that you see many messianics get caught up with. Genealogy tracing, trying to become Jewish, and lusting after being Jewish is not the way to walk. Remember, you can't be more Jewish than the Jews who in fact really are Khazars, Ashkenazis, and it goes down that rabbit trail. It's crazy, isn't it? Because if you see, Ashkenaz was actually a son of what? Japheth. Whereas not a son, Ashkenazi was not a son of Shem, Shemetic. It's really crazy because what we have to realize, quickly touching on this again, is that we have the, the, the um, pyramid with the all-seeing eye. We have the Washington, D.C. We have, which is the military-industrial complex. Then we have the Bank of England, which is the financial end. And now we actually have the Jesuits back again in Rome. There's your pyramid. And then you have the Zionists, the all-seeing eye, and they really are funding all of this that's going on in Syria right now. They're funding. I mean, people are like, oh, no, Israel would never fund ISIS. Where are you? Oh, oh, okay, you're evangelical, believing that 1948 was a miracle from the Father. No, it was a plan hatched by Theodore Herzl for crying out loud, who hated the Creator, hated the Son. It's got nothing to do with biblical Israel, is the return of all 12 tribes, all 12 and the sojourner. So, what you should expect is for a wiping out of the western seaboard where two. Is it three, two-fifths? Somebody help me out. Huh? Is it two-fifths? Huh? Two-thirds? Excuse me, yes. Two-thirds is going to be wiped out. That's what you'll see in the future to make room for the border expansion for true biblical Israel. See, everything that's black is really white. Everything that's up is really down. It's crazy, isn't it? But what this brings me to is this eighth test. Why did we come out of Egypt? We have to be realizing today that we need to be patient when our redemption draws nigh. There's room enough for everyone in the two houses of Israel. Take a good look at what we read earlier in Ephesians. We're all in the commonwealth of Israel. Don't draw back. Don't draw back. There's room for everyone under Messiah. Now, the ninth test, rejection, 
Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 through 10. Now the sages teach that Moses abstained from sexual relationships with the Ethiopian woman. Now abstaining wasn't a requirement, but by choosing to abstain, Moshe was always ready to meet with Yahweh face to face because he didn't require what? He didn't require mikvah before entering the tabernacle. So many of you would read that in um, Numbers chapter 12 and you'll go, well, what? This dissension with, with Miriam and Arian, it was because of the Ethiopian woman? That makes no sense to me. But when you start to look at it, you go, well, hang on a minute. If Moshe was abstaining from marital relations so that he wouldn't have to take a mikvah, he would be immediately ready in a kadosh state to enter in and be panaim al-panaim with Yahweh, face-to-face with Yahweh. That's why over the centuries many people have come to understand that this was really about Moshe being anointed and ready for service. They rejected Yahuwah when they rejected Moshe as a prophet by speaking against him. Miriam and Aaron, they didn't abstain. Thus, verse 1 says, And Miriam and Aaron, Aaron spoke against Moshe because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. It's taught that this euphemism is repeated for her great beauty. You see, many will become leprous in the last days when they speak against Yahuwah, when they speak against his anointed ones. You see, leprosy is the sign of slander, the sign of gossip. It's the sign of rejecting Yahweh's people, rejecting his commandments, and rejecting his anointing. And many people are gossiped against, slandered against. I know many people come to me and they say, oh, well, we were warned not to come here because of X, Y, and Z about you or your teachings. And you're like, wow, why didn't somebody come and speak to me about that panaim el panaim? I would have loved to, you know given my defense. And then when they come, they're like, oh, it wasn't like that at all. Because when you're tacking on that narrow path, people are going to gossip and slander against you. Especially if you're going against doctrines and traditions that make people comfortable. Let's look at this final test, the 10th test of rejection, Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 through 12. The Israelites, they murmured against Moshe again. Yahweh chooses the leader who will speak for him in these last days. Verse 3 says, Is it not better for us to return to Mitzrayim, Egypt? Then in verse 4, Scripture says, They said one to another, Let us make a leader and let us return to Mitzrayim. The spies came back with a bad report. In these last days, as we move in the Malkitzedic ministry, we send out the message and sometimes... After we send that message out, we receive hostile, bad reports. We truly do. Brother Steve and Brother John will tell you. Some are more concerned with their traditions. Some are more concerned with their families than obedience to Yahuwah's priesthood. Rejection of Yahuwah's priesthood of Malkitzedek over Levitical hierarchy or family familiarity means you don't love Yahuwah, your Elohim, more than anything else that this world has to offer. 
And that's, that's what it comes down to. We have to love him more than anything that this world has to offer. They rejected the promised land for fear of harm to family. This is one thing that eliminates people from going to live in the promised land. Rejection of the promised land means you reject Yahuwah. Don't allow the love of family. Don't allow the love of family traditions to stop you from crossing over and becoming a Hebrew in the commonwealth of Israel. And you've almost probably experienced that this past month. And some of you experience it every Shabbat. But be admonished. We have one life. Let's make it count. Because we're not going to be a people that are caught up in unbelief and rejection like the world. Verse 11 of our text, going back now to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. But I did want to visit those 10 tests because the Apostle Paul speaks to the Corinthians and he uses the history to speak into their very life. I believe if we can understand how these Israelites in the past tested Yahweh and unbelief and rejection came upon them, that when these same things pop up in our generation, we will remember not only this teaching, but we'll remember the word and we'll go, you know what, I'm not going back. I'm not going back for the meat. I'm not going going to fall prey to the same temptations and tests that the previous generation did. Verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 3. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Listen, Israelite brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living Elohim. Now there's three types of rest. Number one, creation rest. It speaks of a completed work and it is related to the Exodus generation. The application here is to rest in Moshiach's completed and finished work and not to return to the book of the law, Levitical temple hierarchy. Don't do that. That's what the author is trying to communicate. Number two, there's there's Canaan rest. A rest from struggling with the enemy. How many of us want to enter into that Canaan rest? A rest from struggling with the enemy. Possessing. You and I need to possess new found territory in our lives and get victory. We have got to go to war. Remember last week I said that that the borders of the nations, according to the Septuagint, are defined by the heavenly angels. And some of those angels are warring principalities. And I believe this nation has been taken over by a fallen angel. I won't say any more about that. But I really could. Especially if you start digging in to what the Egyptologists were doing back around the birth of Barack Obama when they went into the tombs and they extracted DNA from the pharaohs. Okay, won't say any more, but those of you that like to dig, good night, Josephine. What an insane world we live in. You don't believe in hybrids and um, what they were messing around doing back then? Huh? Oh, yeah, the blue bloods. Anyway, that's another teaching. I think that might be in a Torah Parsha Shemot. 
somewhere back there. We've covered a lot of ground the past couple of years, and you guys are still here. Warren, you don't know what you've got yourself into, mate. Oh, you do? Okay. That's why you're here, right? Okay. But the second kind of rest is the Canaan rest. It's it's rest from struggling with the enemy, principalities. It's about us possessing new territory together, subjecting our mind, our will, and our heart to the living Yahuwah. Enables us to do what? Conquer sin and conquer the land. That's what I want in my life. I want to conquer all those areas of weakness. And the third kind of rest is Sabbath-keeping piety. It's relating to the enthronement psalms. It's a rest in spiritual maturity with a wider view of the messianic kingdom. And Sabbath is for those that are spiritually mature. I mean, you have to admit it, because it's very easy to be spiritually immature and say, oh, well, Sabbath's whenever I decide it is. Psalm 95, which this quotes, is used in the liturgy for the inauguration of the Sabbath. So let's keep it in context. It's all about the Sabbath. In the authorized daily book of prayer for Jewish communities, it's used in that liturgy. And it's also used for the call to worship in the Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican Church. In many hymns, in many hymns, the promised land, it's a picture of this mystical heaven. You know, you sing the hymns and you're talking about the promised land and you're all thinking about going to heaven. No one has ascended into heaven. None. No one. But the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. That's really hard for people to understand. When you die, you go to the grave and you await the ascension. Isaiah, Daniel, the prophets, Moshe Rabbeinu, they're in the grave. Grandma's not in heaven. She's in the grave. This is tough for people. But it's really, the writer of the book of Hebrews says it's elementary. But many of us... We went to the government elementary schools and we got indoctrinated with many of their doctrines. But we find that in the hymns, promised land is a picture of heaven. But in scripture, which is important, the promised land isn't a picture of heaven, but it's a picture of rest, ceasing to struggle with the enemy. Think about it. In Scripture, the promised land is about rest, seeking, ceasing to struggle with the enemy. And isn't that what we truly want? Right now, in the exile, we should be struggling with the enemy everywhere we go. And we are. It is a struggle. It is a battle if you're engaged. If you're engaged. And many of you go, man, I don't understand I'm more devout than I've ever been. I'm in the word more than I've ever been. And my life is harder than it's ever been. Welcome to the emunah of the saints. Right? Because when you don't compromise and you live a zealous life, all of a sudden, the girl that you thought that you wanted to marry, you realize, whoa, hang on a minute. No. No. And then when you start to think about, well, yeah, this is how I want to operate my business. And then you start to look at the scriptures, you're like, oh, can't do that anymore. Oh, the pediatrician that I'm going to send my children to. Well, I can't send them to that guy anymore. 
Oh, the school down the road that I was going to say, oh, I can't do that anymore. Oh, yeah, that hamburger I was going to pick off the ship. Can't eat that anymore. Oh, those sugar-free cough drops. Can't have that anymore. Oh, go over here, have a glass of water. Oh, I can't have that anymore. Go to the dentist. Excuse me. Embarrass myself now. You're not going to fluoridate my children. Well, of course we are. No, you're not. Everywhere I go, I'm swimming upstream and people are looking at me like, you just get used to it. I went to the dentist with my kids. Do you know what they do when I go to the dentist? They open up the blinds and they take a picture of my license plate. Because I ask funny questions and pay cash. Because I don't have Obamacare. Seriously, didn't they? They took a picture of my license plate because I wouldn't sign all the forms because I said, hey, look, I'm just paying cash. Just clean my kids' teeth. I want to get out of here. It's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. Verse 13 of Hebrews. But exhort one another daily, meaning you and I come alongside one another to help, while it is called today, lest any of you become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of the Mashiach, if we hold on to the beginning of our confidence, firm to the end, while it is said today. This has got to be one of my favorite sayings in Scripture. Today, if you will hear his voice. I, I think that is one of my favorite verses in scripture right there. Because that truly is my, my, my born again life right there. And yours too. Today, if you will hear his voice. Harden not your heart as in the rebellion. For some, when they heard, did rebel. Was it not those that came out of Egypt with Moshe? Although not all of them. But with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? You see, S.A. Tan has the power to cause death. But he has no right. Listen, S.A. Tan, he has the power to cause death. But I want you to take comfort in this. He has no right to inflict it. Upon someone who resists temptation and does not sin. And to whom did he swear that they should enter into his rest? Verse 18. But to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Finishing up here. You see, the death of Yeshua himself is called an exodus. An exodus. The death of Yahushua is called an exodus in Luke chapter 9, verse 31 in the Greek. Our life, our trials, our temptations, and our deliverance are foreshadowed through the exodus account. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that. We are the assembly. Truly today, we are the assembly in the wilderness. Today, only if you will hear his voice. Our mikvah, our baptism, our ritual immersion was foreshadowed by Israel's passage through the Red Sea. Our feeding on Messiah's flesh. Well, 
that was foreshadowed by Israel's nourishment with the manna. And the blood, which we're supposed to drink, well, that was foreshadowed by Israel's nourishment on that water that came from the rock. Their life truly began with their exodus, and our life truly began with Yahushua's exodus, his death in Jerusalem. Just as Israel was put into a probationary period for 40 years after their exodus, our audience that the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to, they are now living in their probationary period of 40 years. It was about 40 years after Yahushua's exodus that they were living and they were coming to the very climatic end of their probationary period. And that was the sense of urgency. Today, if you hear his voice, because tomorrow the temple might fall down. Because they were coming to the end of their 40-year probationary period. Therefore, it was a sense of urgency that if they did not cross over with ritual immersion and come into the commonwealth of faith, then they would face the judgment which was death upon that generation. Likewise, we today, as I've said in past teachings, we are coming to the end of our 40-year probationary period since the Iranian revolution and the fall and takeover of this United States government. We are now coming to the cataclysmic final end where this government is trying to take over other sovereign nations through terrorism, state-sponsored terrorism using ISIS, going against other nations. And we are coming towards the end of our probationary period when there is going to be a judgment upon this generation and those housed within this nation that if we don't get our exodus right then we will fall prey to FEMA camps and all of that which comes with it. So we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. If we can hear his voice, today is that day. Even in Qumran literature, there was an expectation of the 40 years between the death of the religious teacher and the consuming of all men of war who returned with the man of falsehood. You see, we're living, I believe, in a parallel reality to those in Kadesh Barnea. We're living in a parallel reality to the audience of the book of Hebrews. Not only in light of the upcoming 40-year physical judgment upon our generation, when our government got sold out after the Iranian revolution, which with that, you're going to get all of the Islamic pushback. Because of that. And that's what's happening. It's been fermented. And it is not by coincidence we have a Jesuit Pope in these last days. A Jesuit Pope. If you look at how the Jesuits are connected and fermenting this and have been fermenting this for centuries. We have to see that you and I are going to face intense resistance that parallels the opposition that the children of Israel faced from the inhabitants of the land. And it parallels the persecution the Hebrews' audience suffered. Why? 
What do we have in common with the audience and the wilderness generation? You and I, we have severed our relationship with the established religious systems. The wilderness generation, they severed their relationship with the established religious systems of Egypt. The Hebrews audience, they had severed their relationship with the established Levitical hierarchy, religious systems. And you and I, we have severed our relationships with the established Christian doctrine and messianic dogma and doctrines that many of you have been a part of for the past decade or so, trying to seek out the truth and realizing that just leads you back into Levitical hierarchy and Jewish genealogy chasing. You see, it really is a time where we have renounced the establishment's religions and therefore we will incur the wrath of that religious community sometimes just with passing conversations with friends and sometimes with foes. For me, I've experienced it from the Messianic community and of course, before that, the traditional Calvary Chapel community that I came out of. And for you, well, all of you, you have your own stories of how you were plucked out. But our author admonishes us, believe Stay the course and stick with Yahweh and you will be secure because ultimately he has given us the victory at Yahushua's exodus.